Uh, let's open up our copy of God's Word to John 10. If you're visiting with us, we have been studying through the Gospel of John, uh, which is John's account of the life and ministry of Jesus. We've been in that for a few months now, and it's been just a wonderful study. Um, last week, we saw Jesus healing the physical blindness of a man that was blind from birth in order to highlight the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees. And this week, we're going to see Jesus expose those same Pharisees to be the bad shepherds that they really are, as he reveals himself to be the one and only good shepherd sent by his Father to perfectly know and love and lead his sheep until ultimately bringing them home to heaven uh, for eternal rest and blessing there. Uh, So let's read John 10. We're going to read verse 1 through 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they'll flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And he flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray. Lord, we... As we do every Sunday, we we come again to this moment, uh, this holy moment, this moment uh, where we have just gotten finished uh, opening our mouths and singing truths to you and about you and reminding one another uh, what we believe to be true about you, God. And then we've spent time 
tasting things in communion, tasting the, the bread and tasting the wine. Lord, celebrating the gospel through the sense of taste. Lord, now we come to this moment and, and we open our ears. By your spirit, we ask that your spirit would help us to open our ears, open our hearts. Lord, we want to receive your word. Lord, this is a holy moment. Lord, so speak to us, Lord, we pray. We, we trust not in the words of a man. We trust in your spirit, Lord, to give the words of life to us. Lord, so would you do that, we pray, for your glory. Amen. Amen. One of the most well-known passages of the entire Bible, Billy already alluded to this, it'd have to be Psalm 23, uh, and it begins with these five words, the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. If you're a Christian here this morning, aren't those sweet words to hear? The Lord is my shepherd. It's sweet to think of this imagery of the Lord as our shepherd. When you think of a shepherd, what do you think of? You probably think of words like care and protection, comfort and peace, stability and provision. When I think of a shepherd, I can't help but think of our pastors, of Pastor Hugh and Pastor Alan, Pastor Billy. Such a rich depiction to us of what Jesus is like to his people. You know, have you ever stopped to wonder why this particular image of the Lord as our shepherd is so compelling and so meaningful to us? I mean, obviously, it would have been very meaningful to the Jews that Jesus had originally spoken these words to. Many of them were shepherds themselves, or at least had grown up in a society where shepherding was common and a crucial part of their everyday life. But that's not most of us. I mean, the petties have goats, shout out to, to Saint and Patty that were born last week. Uh, but most of us, we aren't immersed in the trade of shepherding like the Jews in Jesus' day would have been. So why is it that this image of Jesus as a shepherd, as our shepherd, why is that so meaningful to us? Well, I think it's because even if we aren't aware of it on, on like a conscious level, I think it's because that each of us way down deep at our core, we're really just sheep, do you remember what the prophet Isaiah said about the human race in Isaiah 53, verse 6? He said, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned, every one, every one of us, to his own way. James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary on the Gospel of John, he says this about the behavior of sheep. This is in your notes. Did you know, for instance, that a sheep will often get stuck on its back like a turtle so that it is unable to move? And then in warm weather, it can die in that position within a few hours. Or again, did you know that a sheep is undiscriminating in its choice of food so that it will eat anything, even poisonous roots and weeds? Or again, that a sheep is helpless in the face of predatory animals, so terrified, in fact, that it often will simply stand there without uttering a bleat until it is attacked and killed. A sheep can have perfect pasture, all it needs or can ever need, yet if there's so much as a tiny opening in an otherwise secured fence, somehow the sheep will find that opening, wriggle through, and wander away to less ample fields and into danger. Boyce says, I am like that, and so are you. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, reads the hymn. And it's true, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. Well, 
I wonder if you see any of these sheep-like tendencies in your own life. We could just kind of take Boyce's quote there for a second and just exposit his quote. We do that to scripture all the time, but if we could just do that for his quote for a second. Uh, Do you see within yourself this tendency, this sheep-like tendency maybe to, to get yourself stuck into positions that you then can't seem to get yourself out of? Does that resonate with any of you? You look back maybe on your life and you realize that there were unwise choices you had made, that there were warnings that you hadn't heeded, that there were obstacles that you tried to minimize or maybe just even ignore. And and for some of you, you can look on your life now at present and realize that those decisions have led to difficult and in some of your cases, even dire circumstances. Some of you may even feel like that upside down sheep upside down on your back in the middle of what seems to be a barren desert, the scorching heat draining every ounce of energy and life out of you. You feel like that kind of sheep this morning? Sheep, we need rescue. Or maybe you might have the tendency of sheep to to try to satisfy the cravings within you, not to satisfy them on the safe and nourishing green pastures that God provides, but, but on the initially tasty but yet poisonous and deadly weeds of the world. Sure, at first, maybe it's just a, a quick nibble every now and then, but with each bite, you, you train your appetite to love and long for the pleasures and promises of the world, eventually becoming like an uncontrollable glutton gorging yourself on what will never truly satisfy. Do you see yourself in that kind of sheep image? Sheep need nourishment. Or what about the tendency to freeze in the face of the enemy's attacks? His attacks on your mind, on your heart, on your soul. Attacks on your friends and your loved ones, on your physical health or on your relationships with others. And you, maybe, maybe you see this tendency in you like a sheep to surrender yourself to the approaching enemy, terrified. You could be tempted not to fight back, not to call out for help, not to put forth any effort to flee. Maybe you just see yourself closing your eyes and hoping that it all goes away. But before you know it, the enemy has you in his clutches. You see this kind of sheep tendency in your life? Sheep, sheep need protection. And lastly, maybe, maybe you see this tendency, the tendency to wander, to be discontent with what you have, to be curious if there's something out there that's better, to push the limits, to test the boundaries, to look beyond the borders of God's provision, out into what appears to you to be greener pastures and stiller waters. You see this kind of sheep-like tendency in you. Sheep need boundaries, We really are just like sheep, aren't we? And just like sheep who can't rescue, who can't nourish, who can't protect, who can't provide boundaries for ourselves, we need shepherds. God's always known this. Shepherds exist because God's heart is a heart of a shepherd. He's a shepherding God. So he, in his kindness, really since the very beginning, has provided shepherds for his people. He called out certain sheep from among the flock and tasked them with the privilege and responsibility to lead and care for their fellow sheep as God's under-shepherds. Shepherds like Moses, who led God's people out of their slavery to the Egyptians. But, you know, you guys know Moses. Maybe many of you know this. He eventually disobeys the word of the Lord. 
He hits the rock instead of talking to the rock like the Lord told him to do. And that costs him the opportunity to go with the people into the promised land. And, but, you know, Moses in Numbers 27, uh, verse 15 through 17, he humbly pleads with God to provide another shepherd to lead God's people. He says this in, in uh, verse 15 of that chapter. Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be as, as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord provided an answer to Moses' prayer. He provided Joshua to be that very shepherd who would go before the Israelites and lead them into the land promised to them by God. Later, the Lord would provide judges to shepherd his people, rescuing them from the hands of their enemies, men like Gideon and Samson, empowered by God in order to execute miraculous victories, but men with some pretty major weaknesses. And then the Lord would eventually establish Israel into its own nation, giving her a king to govern and lead and shepherd his people. Some of these kings, like David, perhaps the greatest shepherd figure in Israel's history, would be used by God as a wonderful means of grace and provision and blessing to God's people. But even David, like all the other shepherds before him, even when he was at his very best, was still himself just a flawed and finite sheep. I think that's what Jesus is alluding to in John chapter 10, verse 8. Look at that with me. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I think what Jesus is meaning there is that every other under-shepherd prior to Jesus, whether they were mostly good or almost all the way bad, every single one of them was in one way or another just really a self-centered, self-preserving sheep. A thief and a robber compared to the kind of shepherd they really needed to be, that God really intended for them to be. They had all been like the hired hand in verse 12 and 13. Look at that verse with me. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Throughout Israel's history, every leader had ultimately failed in their role as shepherd. They each failed to care to care for and to protect and to provide for God's people according to God's standards. Indeed, they abused their authority. They took advantage of the sheep for which they were entrusted to care, and they ultimately put their own protection and preservation and provision above the needs of the ones for which they were responsible. Maybe, maybe some of you are familiar with the book of Ezekiel, but in Ezekiel chapter 34, you guys go ahead and turn there with me. Keep your finger in John. If you could turn over to Ezekiel chapter 34. God had commanded the prophet Ezekiel here in chapter 34 to prophesy to, at that time, the rebellious and self-centered shepherds of Israel. And listen to this language. We're going to start in verse 2. Well, let's start in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back. 
The lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. This is exactly what John is showing us in capturing the story of the blind man's healing back in chapter 9 that we saw last week. Jesus had encountered a man born blind and it healed him on the Sabbath. And that added to the Pharisees' already seething irritation at Jesus because Jesus, he continued to make the claim that he was the son of God. And he continued to disregard and even break the Sabbath laws, at least in their mind. And to them, this raging lunatic, Jesus, was stealing away followers from the Jewish faith by converting them to Christianity. So the Pharisees, they had sought out the man who had been healed. They interrogated him and even his parents. But when that didn't seem to satisfy them, they call him back in and they interrogate him for a second time before they eventually publicly shame him and cast him out of the synagogue. And what I think is one of the sweetest lines in chapter 9, just as as an aside, uh, we read this in verse 35. It says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. I love that line. So the the people who should have been caring for this man get cast out by the people who should have been caring for him. And then Jesus, the one who does and can never not care, uh, he hears that he's been cast out. And then it says, and having found him. So Jesus goes and he finds this blind man. And he asks him, do you believe in the son of man? And then eventually the, the man responds, I believe, Lord, and worships Jesus. Just love that picture. But the Pharisees... They had just witnessed one of their own Jewish people miraculously being healed of a lifelong disability. And those Pharisees should have responded in wonder and amazement at the healing power of God. They should have rejoiced in witnessing Yahweh rescue and restore one of his lost and suffering sheep. They would have known Ezekiel 34. They wouldn't have wanted to be under that kind of judgment. This should have been their response. But what do they do instead? They self-righteously kick him to the curb. Why? Well, because like so many shepherds before them, they were bad shepherds. And before we can think that this is just about the leaders in Israel, that that's that's all who God really cares about, all of us, each of us, in some way or another, has shepherd responsibilities. Every one of us who are parents have shepherd responsibilities. Every one of us who are husbands have shepherd responsibilities. Every one of us who who have responsibilities in your workplace to manage other people. You have shepherd calls on your life from the Lord. So don't, don't just think this is the, the spiritual leaders. And just like the bad shepherds in Ezekiel's day, these Pharisees, they had mistreated one of God's own sheep. They had put on a sickening display of careless and selfish and abusive leadership. But look back at Ezekiel 34. The Lord goes on to, to say something else to Ezekiel. 
Starting in verse 11, God promises that he himself would do something to right the wrongs done to his sheep. Verse 11, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, this is the shepherding heart of God, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered, on a day of clouds and thick darkness, and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines. And in all the inhabited places of the country, I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. Oh, such sweet words from God. And then we turn back to John chapter 10. Then we get to John 10 in the New Testament. And it's in this chapter that we find Jesus himself claiming to be this very good shepherd. Promised by God through the prophet Ezekiel some 500 years before this. Now uh, we, we see Jesus. He's going to use the, the, a lot of the same language that Ezekiel prophesied. He's going to say it about himself. And there's so much theology and Christology and eschatology, all these ology words in these 21 verses. There's so much in here. Uh, One commentary I read uh, had seven chapters dedicated to these 21 verses. (laughs) So obviously we're not going to be able to to cover everything that's in this passage. Uh, But but man, I I would encourage you, man, to to go home this week and and spend time meditating on these verses. Um, But for for the purpose of our limited time here this morning, I just want to focus our attention on, on three ways that I think that this passage claims that we can know Jesus to be this good shepherd that Ezekiel had prophesied. Uh, So the first one that we'll look at is that the good shepherd knows his sheep by name. So look at verse 1 in John 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief. And a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So, what's the shepherd like? To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, the shepherd's voice. And the shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice, the shepherd's voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they'll flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. So what is this telling us? It's telling us the good shepherd knows his sheep. He isn't like a robber or a thief who sneaks over the fence to steal the sheep when the gatekeeper isn't looking. His presence doesn't send the sheep into a panic like the robbers and the thieves, thieves would. Because that's what the Pharisees were like. They lorded their authority over the sheep. They were selfish and manipulative and condescending and judgmental. But the good shepherd, he's friendly and familiar and safe toward his sheep. His sheep don't cower away in fear when he approaches them. They know and trust their shepherd. And he knows and loves each one of them so personally, in fact, that Jesus says, and I think this might be 
something for some of us here this morning. Jesus says that he even knows them by name. Think about that. Maybe I'm a sheep racist and I don't realize it. Uh, but, but when I look at a bunch of sheep in a pen, I don't see individuals. I see sheep. They aren't called sheeps, plural. They're called sheep, singular. I, I don't take time to look at them for their unique individual traits and personalities. I just see one big glob of stinky wool. That's how I see sheep. I think that's how we see sheep. I think that may be how we see one another as sheep. And that should be something that we think about. But that's not how Jesus sees sheep. He doesn't see this one massive woolly blob. Our shepherd, Jesus, he, he's intimately acquainted with each and every one of his sheep. He knows them with a familiarity and knowledge that is both personal and comprehensive. I came across this quote by a bishop named Brooke Faust Westcott. Uh, and man, listen to this quote. Let it, let it Let it attach itself to you. Uh, Nothing in his flock, the flock of the shepherd, is hidden from him. Their weaknesses, their failures, their temptations, their sins, the good which they've neglected when it was within reach, the evil which they have pursued when it lay afar, all is open before his eyes. He knows them and he loves them still. That should make us want to worship right now. Do you think of Jesus this way? Do you think of your shepherd this way? Is the thought of Jesus knowing so much about you, of you being totally exposed and naked, in a sense, before him, does that make you want to cower away from him in fear? That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden when they sinned against the Lord, wasn't it? They ran and hid. They covered. They, they, they felt exposed by the holiness and purity of God's presence. But what did God do? What did God do to them? He didn't fold his arms and, and say, well, if y'all want to have a solution to this, you better come and find me. No, he comes down to them. He, uh, church history has said he condescended to them. He came down. He stooped down. He sought them out. He, he even provides for them sacrificial forgiveness by cutting a lamb in two and giving them wool to cover themselves with from the lamb. It's the first place we see propitiation happen in scripture. Um, but that, that's going to lead us, I'm getting ahead of myself, that leads us to the second claim uh, that we see Jesus make about himself in this passage. And that second claim is that the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Four times, if you noticed, four times in these 21 verses, Jesus assures us with that same phrase or a phrase that's kind of a derivative of that. Let's look at each one. Look at verse 11. We see it in verse 11. uh, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But then a little further down, Jesus leaves no question that he's talking about himself. So that first one, it kind of just sounds like that's what good shepherds do. They lay down their life for sheep. But then Jesus makes it personal. Look at verse 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Doesn't that sound like Ezekiel 34? I lay down my life for the sheep. This is what shepherds do. They protect the sheep, even if it means putting their own lives at risk. But remember, Jesus isn't an ordinary shepherd. 
It would be expected for an ordinary shepherd to stand up for his sheep when, say, a wolf or a bear attacks or if a robber tries to break into his pen to steal members of his precious flock. It'd be expected for him to risk being attacked or beat up himself or, you know, in worst case scenario, even killed in order to save the life of his sheep. We'd expect a shepherd to do that. But Jesus is the good and better shepherd. Look at verse 17. For this reason, the father loves me. Why? Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Okay, that doesn't sound like what normal shepherds do. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and then I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So, so Jesus has been sent by his father, not just to protect sheep who are alive, but to bring back to life sheep who are already dead. It's a very different kind of rescue, a very different kind of laying down one's life. And it's a rescue that only the son of God can bring. As a man, Jesus alone was able to be the sinless one. He alone was able to live a perfect life. He alone was able to be willing to shed his unblemished blood on our behalf. But as God, so that was as man, but as God, Jesus alone is able to fully absorb the infinite righteous wrath of God toward our sin. And this God-man took our place. He endured our agony. He suffered as our once and for all sufficient sacrifice. We sang that in the first song this morning. And he did that in order that we might be brought from death to life. All praise to him. If you're a Christian, if you're one of God's good sheep, this is your story. And it should elicit from you praise. But if you're not a Christian, and I don't want to assume that there are no non-Christians in this room. Billy talked about that. There are at least maybe some kids who are in our midst. Maybe some of you adults. You've been around Christianity. You've been around religion for a long time. You've considered this stuff. Maybe you, you even professed something in your past, uh, but your life doesn't seem to really equate to a life that is, that is belonging to the good shepherd. I don't want to assume that there aren't people like that in our midst right now that are listening to my voice right now. So if you're not a Christian, I, I think the Lord wants you to, to pay attention to something this morning. He wants you to know that he laid down his life for you, that he chose to die so that you wouldn't have to. He made it possible for you to be resuscitated. It means brought back to life. This is the kind of good shepherd that he is. And, and if you're hearing me say those things, and you're hearing the voice of the Lord calling out to you today, that is no small thing. That is not something to ignore. That is not something to disregard. I would, just, I would just say, don't delay. If the Lord is, is speaking to you right now, if he, is, if he, through his shepherdly care for you, is calling out to you, open your ears, open your heart to him, respond to his loving call. Let him awaken in your heart faith for him, to trust him, to surrender to him, to repent and turn away from your sins. That's the call of your shepherd to you, non-Christian. Come to him. And be willing to follow wherever it is that he calls you to go. And Christians, that's our call as well, to to follow him wherever he calls us to go. And that brings us to our third claim, which we find in this text. And that is that the good shepherd is also the door that leads to a good future. You may have noticed as we were reading there that Jesus kind of mixes his metaphors 
uh, in this passage. Uh, and and if, we, if we're not careful, it could kind of get us confused. Like, wait, wait, is he the shepherd or is he the door to the sheep? Or like, what, what is Jesus saying here? But I think he uses these two different, now he is the shepherd, but he also uses this analogy of him being the door because it, it, it further colors in what it means for Jesus to be the shepherd for us. He spends most of the time using that metaphor of a shepherd, but then look at verse 7 through 10, where he kind of switches it up on us. Read that with me. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is calling the Jewish people to trust in him as the only way to salvation and safety and security. They'll never find those things by observing a bunch of religious laws and rituals. That's what Jesus continues to say in John. They'll never be able to satisfy God's demands for absolute holiness and perfection. They'll only ever be able to be separated from him for all eternity unless they repent and receive his invitation that he holds out for them to enter by way of the life found only in his name. As the Mandalorians perpetually say, this is the way. And Jesus says it better in, in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And when we come to the Father through Jesus, he promises that we will be saved and we will go in and out of the sheepfold and we will find pasture and we will have life and we will have life abundantly. That's what John's been saying in every page of this gospel. Believe, you'll find life in the name of Christ, abundant, safe, secure, lasting, satisfying, joy-filled life. Oh, doesn't your soul long for that? To experience that kind of life? Don't you long to be known by your shepherd? To be even more aware of his love for you? And in, in him laying down his life for you? Don't you long to be with him for all eternity, enjoying his presence and peace? I do. I, I long for that. And I think as I'm getting older, I'm, I'm longing more and more for that. As I, as I spend more time on this broken planet, as I spend time inside this broken body of flesh, as I see evil around, and I look at some of you older saints, and I think, you, you probably know this way better than I know, and you've been longing for this way longer than I have at almost 40 years old. Don't you long for this? It's something that we gather every Sunday morning to remind ourselves that we need to long for this, that it's out there as a promise for us. Jesus has placed it as a promise that security and safety and peace awaits us in his name. But let me, let me ask you this question. What does it mean really for Jesus to be your shepherd? What does it really mean? What does it mean for those of you in the midst of need? If you're going to label your life right now, uh, probably the word you'd put on it is need. I'm in, I'm in need right now. What does it mean for Jesus to be your shepherd? What does it mean for those of you who are in the midst of loss? Or maybe some of you are in the midst of challenge in your life, the midst of confusion, 
the midst of suffering? What does it mean for Jesus to be your shepherd? What does it mean for Jesus to be our shepherd, SGC, our, our church family? What does it mean for him to be our shepherd? Well, it, it means that he's given us good shepherds to lead us in our elders. They're, they're sheep as well, just like all of us are. Uh, but they've been tasked by God to lead us, to care for us, to do all these things that God required of his under shepherds. And it's our job to follow, to listen, to know them. Uh, we have good shepherds here at SGC. We have, we have finite men who need the Lord to shepherd them. And, but we have good shepherds here. What does it mean for the Lord to shepherd us through them, through the changes that we're experiencing, the growth that we're experiencing, the growing pains that we're experiencing, the differing opinions about things that we're experiencing? How, how is it that we're to trust the Lord, our shepherd, to guide us in the midst of those changes, in the midst of our growth? Well, I think it's to remember that we have a good shepherd who is leading us toward a good future. I would started the sermon We'll conclude this way. I started the sermon uh, with the first five words of Psalm 23, but I wanted to close the sermon by reading that psalm in its entirety because I think it, it fills out the picture of where Jesus is leading his people, his sheep. Um, and I took some liberty to change the tense. You'll see it's in, in, it's in your notes. But I took the liberty to change the tense of the psalm so that it's actually speaking in the second person directly to us. Um, so that we can kind of feel a little bit differently the weight of these declarative statements of the blessings and benefits of being one of God's good sheep, one of the good shepherd's sheep. Um, so let's, let's consider this and meditate on what Jesus says in this psalm. The Lord Jesus is your shepherd. You shall not want Jesus makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you Beside still waters, Jesus restores your soul. Jesus leads you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil, for Jesus is with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. Jesus prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Jesus anoints your head with oil. Your cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Goodness and mercy. And you shall dwell in the house of the Lord, your shepherd, Jesus, forever. Before we pray... Um, there's just so, so much that we could unpack even in, in those six verses. But just, just two things, just goodness and mercy. As we were reading that, I just wondered if that was something to pay attention to. You know, a lot of these, these blessings that we just read through, you could, you could try to think, well, didn't you just say, Eric, that in the midst of all this stuff that, uh, that the Lord's going to be a shepherd of me? But I, I, I have need in my life, and I've got challenge, and I've got suffering. And I'm not, like, really happy all the time. So, so how, how does Psalm 23 map on to my life? Because it doesn't really feel like they match up. Well, the promise is that goodness and mercy will come. That's a promise that God gives to us in this psalm, goodness and mercy. So, so we can trust that that prompt, because Jesus is who he says he is, he's the Lord, he's not going to lie. 
We can trust that whatever it is that we're seeing in our circumstance in life, however we can determine it to be good or not good, the failure to see it as good is probably inside of us. It's probably not with the Lord. His goodness, he says, is on your life. So whatever situation that you're walking through, whatever difficulty, whatever suffering or pain or trial, we have to trust that God is seeing that trial as good for you in one way or another. And if we don't understand how it's good, well, we need to go to the shepherd. The shepherd, I mean, the sheep didn't need to try to stare out of their little pins at, at all the possible uh, pastures out there and say, oh, that looks like a good one. I think we should go to that one. That wasn't their job. Their job was to follow the shepherd. The shepherd was the one who knew where good f- food was, where good shelter was, where good rivers were. So that would be my encouragement to you. Like, don't, don't try to to analyze whether or not what's happened in your life is good. Trust that it is good and that it's your job just to follow. And then mercy. It can feel like the things that are coming out of our life are not merciful. Like, like Lord, we could be saying, Lord, would you please be merciful and let up a little bit? I can't, I can't stand to bear another burden. I know some of you in this room are, are feeling that way right now in life. The Lord promises that he's merciful. One way you could think of that is that without his mercy that is present in your life right now, you might be experiencing worse than what you're experiencing right now. So we, we, can't, we can't determine what his mercy's like or wh- how to equate, how, what the equation is for his mercy. We have to trust him. So be encouraged, church. Let's trust in the Lord. Um, we're going to take some time to sing. Let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll do that. We'll respond in song. thankful that you have um, you have ever since the beginning Lord had a shepherding heart toward your people your creation Lord it is in the heart of God to want all to come Lord even uh, we didn't read this verse but in chapter uh, verse 16 of chapter 10 says I have other sheep that are not of this fold I must bring them also And they will listen to my voice. There will be one flock, one shepherd. That's your heart, Lord. You want all people to come bow before you as the shepherd that they follow, that they lead, that they trust. Lord, and that's your call to us this morning. Whether we're Christians or non-Christians, Lord, you, you call us to come and to bow our knee before you in humble submission and trust allowing you to know us, us committing to know you, uh, us receiving your love for us, uh, us choosing to follow wherever it is that you lead. Lord, that's the relationship that you have purchased for us through the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Lord, but I know that there are many of us in this room who are herding sheep, who are sheep who feel like there are flies and, and parasites all over our bodies, sheep who feel like we're being scorched by the sun, Sheep who feel terrified of another attack by the enemy. But those kind of sheep are here in our midst. And we need you, Lord. We need you, O good shepherd, to come and comfort us this morning. To come and hem us in, Lord, to, to remind us that it is you who stands watch at the gate. You it is that protects us. You it is that knows what 
uh, what it will mean for us to find good, nourishing food, Lord. We don't need to look to any other shepherds, so we need to look to you. Lord, we, we want this, Lord. And, and Lord, would you help us now if, if any of us are in a season like that? Or would you help us to run to you? Lord, give us the faith. Would it be a kindness to, uh, that you would grant to us? The faith to repent where we need to repent? Of trying to be self-righteous or, have, or be self-sustaining, Lord. Lord, and would we run to you, Jesus? Would we run to your arms? Lord, as we sing this song, we're going to rejoice in several stanzas that each stanza has a different kind of way that we need to to remind ourselves that we are in Christ, that, that the power that we need for living life is not found within us, little sheep. Lord, it's found within you, our shepherd, Lord. And so let's pray as we sing this song. Would you build faith in us, uh, oh God? Lord, let your people sing praise to you and let the singing of our praise give us strength where we need it, uh, give us joy and peace where we need it, Lord, and give you glory, we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand together. And uh, if, you, if you want to respond, this is, a, this is a time while we're singing, like come make use of the space up here. You know, don't, don't think that, that the faith that you're feeling right now to respond to God might still be there lingering this afternoon at four o'clock uh, when life has kind of sucked you back into itself. Uh, if there's faith, if there's work that the Lord is calling you to do, to express to him through prayer, like come down here, pray. Uh, we've got a couple of prayer team folks who are scheduled. Uh, you guys can go ahead and come on down. Uh, they'd love to pray with you. I'll, I'll be up here. I'd love to pray with you. If there's something that we can do uh, to minister to you through prayer, let's do that. Um, yeah, let's sing and then I'll come back up and close us.